What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you check out Ethos Fantasy BB. I've been saying it quite a bit, but that is where all of our new podcasts, articles, and different work goes right out onto Twitter at Ethos Fantasy BB. You'd never miss any of our new baseball content when you drop a follow over there. And you can get it right from the source as well at sportsethos.com. That is where you'll find all of our content across all four major sports, wagering, fantasy, everything else that we got there at sportsethos.com. I hope you guys check it out. We're going to continue with the SP reviews today. We are winding down, down to the last two or three of them. I think probably three, but we might squeeze it all in tomorrow. Uh, there's a few more. Obviously, we could do starting pitchers forever. You're talking, you know, five pitchers at the start of the season, five pitchers, 30 teams. You're talking 150 pitchers plus all the replacements, all the fill-ins. You're probably talking 200 pitchers. We're not going to talk about every single one of them on the pod. The more important ones, the ones that tend to have more of a fantasy uh, impact one way or the other. So this today, I believe, is number eight now in terms of the starting pitching reviews. I could be wrong. Let me just check real quick. Uh, yeah, this is number eight. I think nine. Maybe it makes sense to go to around ten, but we'll see if we can squeeze it in tomorrow because we're going to have Greg Jewett joining us in the middle of the week, I think on Wednesday. Might go out Thursday. Uh, he's from Reliever Recon, the Patreon, and of course he works with The Athletic as well. Uh, we're going to be going over the top tier of relief pitchers with Greg later on in this week. It's a very fun week for me. I'm also going to be joining the On The Wire podcast on Thursday. I'm not sure if that'll go out Thursday or Friday, maybe on the weekend. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it'll be great to talk with Adam Howe for the first time. Talk with my friend Kevin Hastings. Again, we haven't chatted since Arizona. My golf buddy, Kevin Hastings. Uh, should be a lot of fun uh, to converse with those guys. I won't spoil what we're going to be talking about, but later this week, check out the On The Wire pod from Pitcher List. You'll be able to hear me on there as well. But enough of the rambling and the preamble. Let's start talking about some pitchers. And the first one we are going to talk about today is Freddie Peralta. And you might be wondering how Freddie Peralta lasts until the eighth starting pitching review show. If you're new to these podcasts or to this podcast in general, I've been going through the Yahoo rankings from top to bottom. So we started off with the very top of the list. We weren't going to go based on, you know, DeGrom first and who, you know, Cole second, Burns third. Not based on generally how people view starting pitchers in baseball. Like our first show was Verlander and Alcantara, Julio Urias, uh, Alec Manoa, Shohei Otani, Zach Gallon. And we've worked our way down going from there. We are on Freddie Peralta, and you know it, it's a little bit farther down than you might hope for him or expect him to be, but at the end of the day, he only threw 78 innings this year, and we are basing this off of totals. This is not based on per-game value. This is their total value throughout the entire season, and his, you know, his season was good when he was out there, but of course, it's disappointing when somebody, your starting pitcher, who you drafted probably fairly highly up uh, to start the season, doesn't even crack 100 innings for you. Gave you a 4-4 four and four record over his 17 starts. He appeared in 18 games. He came in, in relief one time, I guess. I don't remember that off the top of my head, but 17 starts once in relief. Uh, he gave you a 358 ERA. The pitching indicators were generally in line, if not a little bit lower than that 358. He had a 270 X ERA, XFIP, 366 XFIP, and his Sierra was at 357. So pretty much in line with what he did this year. It was maybe a bit of a step back on a per-game basis than what we saw in 2021. Uh, the strikeouts weren't quite there, but his walk rate was also lower. It was still a good year for him, and you're talking per start here. We're not talking, I mean, if you drafted Freddie Peralta, you're going to classify it as a disappointment, only 78 innings, you know, the 3.58 ERA. There wasn't a ton of per-game value for him this year. 
But I think that the outlook should be generally still pretty rosy for Freddie Peralta going forward. We're still talking about someone who is 26 years old, who has shown us elite stuff, capabilities of going over 30% in terms of his strikeout rate. And I think that it's something to look at here considering how they have used him, or look at how they have used him over these last couple of years. And, you know, this year doesn't really count for it because of the injury. But if you look at 2021, they weren't really using him as much as they could have been down the stretch. He only ended up at 144 innings. That's something I think that we are going to have to worry about with Freddie Peralta. Maybe not forever, but at least for right now, uh, a problem with him is how much you are going to get out of him in a given year. 2021 was his first year as a full-time starter. He had started before. And I mean, 2018, I guess you can count. He started the majority of his games, but it was only 14 games, 78 innings again. Hard to really say uh, he was a full-time starter, even though technically that was his main role. 2019, more of a bullpen role. Same with 2020. Last year, he was started more, but only you know 144 innings over 27 starts. It's not really what you would have would have hoped for, even though he was really good in those outings. They were limiting him down the stretch. That's something I think we are going to have to worry about a little bit going forward with Freddie Peralta until we really see him get worked up to close to a 200-inning season because we've never seen anything close to that from him, even in the minors. You're looking back, going back a number of years. And, I mean, 2018, he threw about 130, 140 innings there between AAA and, and Major League Baseball. Uh, 2019, you know, less than 100 innings. 2020, obviously very short. He's never really got up there to a pitch count and to an inning count that makes us really that comfortable with him. The stuff is there. He is a quality pitcher. He is potentially an elite pitcher. If he can do what he did in 2021 over the course of a whole season and do it consistently, then I think there's no reason why we can't have Freddie Peralta somewhere in that elite pitcher tier. But I don't think we can do it yet just because of the innings concerns. This was the first year where his strikeout rate had dipped below uh, 10 strikeouts per nine, which, you know, I said I wasn't going to do that anymore. But even if you look at strikeout rate, uh, I said I wasn't going to use strikeouts per nine or, you know, anything per nine, really, because I don't really like it so much. But if you look at even the strikeout rate, 27.1% was the lowest that we'd seen from him at the big league level. Even though, like we've mentioned multiple times here, it wasn't a full season, but still, you don't want to see that. At the same time, like we also mentioned earlier, his lowest career walk rate at 8.5 is still a little bit high, but compared to what we'd seen in years past, over 10% as a rookie, I mean 12.5%, and then these last three years, pretty static there, 9.7, 9.6, 9.7. It's really good to see him get the walk rate down. I think if he's healthy and he can give you a full season, then he is absolutely an elite pitcher. But I don't think that we can have those same kind of expectations that we might have had coming into this year. There's the injury concerns. There's the Brewers not really you know, pushing him to the fullest they probably could, which, I mean, they don't want to hurt him. But they're not going to push him past probably 150, 160 innings. Steamer hasn't projected for 138 innings. And you guys know how I feel about Steamer. I'm not a huge fan of it and using it for pitchers. But at the same time, it, it doesn't feel too far off here, expecting about 140 innings. So that's going to be baked into your draft price. He is not being drafted as an ace. 127 is his ADP. And I honestly think that that is pretty okay because he has, he has the potential to smash that. If he gives you a full season, giving you the strikeout numbers we know and love from Freddie Peralta and you know playing in Milwaukee, the wins are probably going to be okay. Nothing great, but you're thinking 10 to 12 wins should be acceptable. You know, you should be able to get more than that, but I think that that's probably about right. Steamer projecting for nine, which feels a little bit low. I think 10 to 12 probably is going to be in the cards for him. And I think at this price, he is one of those guys that we've talked about in this range as being 
somebody that you can wait on. And it's not, you know, I wouldn't wait on him the same way I would wait on like Zach Allen or Kevin Gosman. Like I'd have a lot more confidence in those guys as an SP1. Joe Musgrove as well. I mean, Tyler Glass now has the potential. He's another injury concerned guy, but I wouldn't put Peralta in that same range necessarily. But he is still, I mean, by draft price, in that sweet spot that I've talked about between about pick 65. I mean, if you're going by a player from about Alec Manoa until you get down in drafts to roughly Clayton Kershaw, you know, roughly from 65 to 140 in terms of where you're drafting, that is a sweet spot for pitchers. And Peralta fits right in there. Minimum pick of 73 feels really high. Somebody got him a pick 189 in a draft champions. That is robbery at that point. I'm all in on him at that point because... Even if he doesn't give you a full season, even if you're talking about, you know, let's call it 120, 130 innings, he's not going to give you the Clayton Kershaw stat line, but that's essentially what you're drafting Clayton Kershaw for, expecting there's going to be time missed. And we're generally okay with that outcome, considering what he'll do for you on a per-game basis. And I think Peralta is somebody who is fairly similar in terms of what you are going to get from him. Not that there will be the same amount of wins necessarily, but I think you'll you'll get probably some more strikeouts from Peralta, fewer victories. I think overall it probably balances out to being a similar kind of draft pick that you're going to get out of Clayton Kershaw. But with Peralta, you also have the fact that he is like 10 years younger and doesn't have such an extensive injury history. There are some injuries there, and plus with you know with the Brewers, the way they use pitchers, but I think that's a fairly similar player you can take there, uh, whether you're going for Peralta or Kershaw. I think that you know the floor is probably fairly similar, and then you got the, a higher upside with Peralta. I really like him in this range at 127 as the 53rd pitcher off the board. Uh, I don't, it, you can't filter it by starters and by relievers here, but I would imagine. You're talking about the 40th starting pitcher, somewhere in that range. Uh, I think if you're getting him there very comfortably as your SP2 or 3 or potentially even SP4 at this range, and a lot of people will have taken more than three pitchers at this point of the draft, wherever, whatever position you're in in terms of which SP he is, I feel very comfortable taking him at pick 127. I think that it's a really, really good bargain for somebody with the potential that we know Freddie Peralta has. But let's move on and talk about our next arm here, John Gray. John Gray is somebody who I was really big on heading into the year, and I I felt somewhat vindicated. It didn't happen right away. But over the course of the season, he really fixed up. You know, starting off in March and April, I mean in April, it was nine innings with a seven ERA. In May, it was 25 innings of a five zero four ERA. And it was, you know, at some point, you were likely dropping him if you had him in a shallower league, if you're in a you know, standard 10, 12-team league or whatever. And then he really fixed up in the latter part of the season for the most part. June, 37 innings, a 239 ERA. July, he threw 30.1 innings, and he had a 297 ERA. August, an inning and a third, just one brutal start there. He gave up three earned runs in that inning and a third, so August is not really something you can look at. September and October, it kind of fell off for him a little bit. He wasn't the same guy that we saw in those middle months. Uh, There was a couple of bad starts. I'm just pulling up the game log here, dealing with some slow internet, but uh, weird with the greatest, and that kind of impacted him. Yeah, so if you're looking at Seattle here, end of the season, he up six earned runs. It's Baltimore, four earned runs in an inning and a third. It inflated his overall second half numbers a little bit, specifically that six earned run start. But even if you factor all that in, it was still an incredibly good season for John Gray where he did have positive value, you know, 396 ERA. The indicators all below that, 359 XERA, 385, 346 XFIP, and the Sierra was 356. So he actually underperformed a little bit compared to what he could do. Now, he was at a course field for the first time getting his 
feet wet in a different environment. He spent his entire career pitching in Colorado, and that's obviously going to inflate your numbers. Getting away from there for the first season, it was very good. Despite only 127 innings, you know, sub-4 ERA, he gave you good strikeout numbers, below average walk rate at 7.5, or I guess above, depending on how you want to look at it. He's walking less guys than most of the league was at 7.5, or at least than the average. He gave you a very good season. And I expect another year removed from Coors, assuming that he is healthy. That team, I think, is pretty good. Uh, you know, I think the prospects of a John Gray you know, I don't want to you know overshoot here, but probably like an SP three overall. Like I could see that. I could see him being among the top thirty six pitchers in baseball. I think that it would be maybe a little bit of a stretch, and some people might be listening to that and think that I'm crazy, and maybe I am crazy. But I think that that is in within his range of outcomes to give you 170 innings. You know, he's projected for 174. If he gives you something like that. You know, let's call it 160 to 170 range, giving you his typically strong strikeout numbers, you know, above league average, 24, 25, 26%, keeping the walk rate fairly in check and pitching for a team that's probably not going to be great, but a team that shouldn't be that bad. I think that there's still some potential for them to be really good. They've just brought in Jacob deGrom. That's probably going to add a few wins to their total. I mean, in the lineup, they didn't really improve anywhere, but that lineup is already pretty good. We talked about it this year many times. You know, Semyon, Seager, Lau, Garcia, and then Jonah Heim, Josh Young. That's a pretty solid top six. And then you got Leone Taveras, uh, you know, in the bottom third there. It's not a great bottom third. Taveras is probably the one that stands out the most, but I think they're a decent overall team there considering the lineup. And then you look at DeGrom, Perez, Gray, Andrew Heaney, Jake Odorizzi. It could be a sneaky, all right rotation. You know, there's there's a wide range of outcomes for guys like Martin Perez and Andrew Heaney. And even for Jacob DeGrom, like he might throw, you know, 150 innings. He might throw 25 innings. God, knock on wood as I say that. There's some more uncertainty in the rotation. I think John Gray is the most stable guy in that rotation in terms of what you can expect from him this year in terms of the total, the totality of the season. You know, DeGrom is obviously the best per inning pitcher there. But I think I might feel more comfortable with John Gray considering the draft price because, you know, 199 is where he is going right now. Jacob DeGrom at 33. You're going to get a lot more volume out of John Gray most likely, and I can't even believe that I'm making an argument here to take John Gray above Jacob DeGrom. But when you're talking 160 picks, 10 rounds at least in the 15-teamer, maybe more depending on where you're playing, could be 12 or 14 rounds, whatever it is. I think I'd rather take John Gray considering that price. I think that he will settle in in another year here in Texas, give you similar numbers to what we saw this season, a sub-4 ERA. And, you know, I think that he has some win potential as well. I don't think the team is going to be great. But I think that you could see 10 to 12 wins out of him, which would be totally reasonable considering the win totals you get out of pitchers in baseball today. It's not crazy high. You don't see that. And as I've grown up watching baseball, the win totals have definitely dwindled over the years. You don't see many pitchers anymore racking up 20 victories. I think there was only one pitcher this year. Yeah, it was Kyle Wright was the only 20-win pitcher this season. And then you saw certain guys who got more wins than they should have, fewer than others. Wins are very hard to nail down. Jamison Tyone with 14 wins. That's probably not going to repeat itself. Cal Quantrill with 15. You know, Tyler Anderson with 15. Tony Gonsolin, 16. Wins are kind of strange in baseball, in modern-day baseball. You can't expect huge numbers, but you don't need huge numbers anymore to be competitive. You get 10 or 12 wins at a John Gray, and you should be cooking with gas there, especially you're getting him around pick 200 here pretty much right on it. I can't see much going wrong with that. And, you know, I remember when we were doing the live trade deadline show, it was the last panel, 
And Justin Mason, I think it was the 5 o'clock hour, 6 o'clock hour, was saying like he expected John Gray to have close to a top 100 ADP. And I agree, it should be a lot closer to 100 than it is to 200. And here we are sitting at it at 199. Minimum pick of 159, maximum of 256. Anywhere in that range, I feel comfortable. I think that this is a great buy opportunity for John Gray. I don't think a lot of people are going to be that interested in him, specifically getting pushed down the depth chart a little bit. I think it's probably a little bit sexier if you are the number one pitcher or number two pitcher as opposed to number three pitcher, just in terms of the way people will view you. But John Gray could potentially have the best season in that Texas rotation there. You're talking total value. Don't misconstrue there. DeGrom will be better when he's out there. But in terms of how much he's going to be out there, you know, I think I'm trusting John Gray more than any other Texas pitcher. So 199, you know, fill your boots. I think that that is a fantastic area to be drafting him. Next guy we are going to talk about is Marcus Stroman. I used to be a big Marcus Stroman guy. I thought that he was going to be a stud in Toronto. And, you know, there was a time where he was very good. He was a trusted member of the rotation for several years. And then we traded him away, and I don't think we really got much back uh, in return for Stroman. Since he's left Toronto, he's been pretty good. I think that he is a touch overrated, though. Like, And I'm not just saying that because he is no longer a member of the team that I cheer for. I do think that people's perception of Marcus Stroman is generally a little bit higher than what the actual product is. You're getting very minimal strikeouts. You're getting, you know, especially now, pitching for the Cubs, Probably very minimal wins. We saw six wins this year and 25 starts out of him. There was good and there was bad. He's He fluctuates quite a bit in terms of his game-to-game value. There are times when he's out there and he looks fantastic, like his last start of the season against Cincinnati, but six shutout innings, striking out seven. He looks great. And then you also have you know starts where he allows, where's the bad one? There was nine earned runs against St. Louis. He allowed seven earned runs against the Rays. He can fluctuate quite a bit. The overall product is still fairly okay, and I think that you know where you're drafting him this year is not too expensive. 271 is the ADP over in Draft Champions formats. I think it's fine, but I don't think there is really much upside with a Stroman. Where with Gray and with Peralta, I think that there is untold upside. They could both be, you know, arguably the best pitchers on their respective teams. I, I you know, and again, I feel like I need to preface that Degrom will be better. But I don't think he'll be out there as much as John Gray, and I think the pick will be more valuable. Freddie Peralta, you know, he's obviously going to be picked below, well below Burns and Woodruff. But would it shock you if he had the best season in Milwaukee in terms of pitchers? I'd be a little bit surprised, but I wouldn't be blown away by it. I think that that is totally within the range of outcomes. For Marcus Stroman, I don't think that there is a top, you know, 35, 40, 50 even uh, starting pitcher outcome for him. I think that he is okay. I think that, you know, considering the strikeouts and the team he plays on, and I don't look too much at team context usually, but the Cubs are not going to be a good team this year. They're not going to be able to win that many games. We saw it from him this year, and those things do bounce around year to year a little bit, but he won less than 25% of his starts this year, and it wasn't like he was, you know, fantastic and should have gotten more than he did. He was okay. A 3.5 ERA, the indicators all generally within range there, 394 XERA, 376 FIP, 349 XFIP, and his Sierra came in at 374. I think he's fine. I think he's okay. He just doesn't make me excited to draft him. If I'm getting to the point of the draft and I take Marcus Stroman, it's because I'm just looking to fill out a little bit of depth. And that's, you know, that's talking about your 15-team draft champions formats where he's being drafted here. I'd make the argument that if you're in a 12-team league, Yahoo, wherever, ESPN, CBS, I wouldn't be taking him. I think that he is, at best, like the last guy you can take in a draft, very last pick, and say, okay, 
maybe something happens here. But at that point, I would rather take an upside play as opposed to a floor play. And I think considering the range, I just I don't think the price is awful. I think it's fine at 271. That's probably about where he should be going. But I just can't get behind it. I can't get that interested in it for someone who's generally not that impressive. Not that impressive. Uh, he relies a lot on the ratios to get him by fantasy wise, and you know maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. Considering the team and the ballpark, I think it's you know not the most likely. And I say ratios mostly ERA is what you're getting out of him, and that could be you know above four, and no one would really bat an eye. It could be like we saw in 2021. It could be 302, but I. I'm just not really too interested in Marcus Stroman. Even though the price is probably fair, he's just not somebody that I'm expecting to have many, if if any, shares of heading into next season. Lance Lynn is the next guy we're going to talk about. Definitely a little more interesting on the other side of Chicago here. Now, his price is a lot more expensive, but it's obviously, it should be more expensive than Marcus Stroman. And I should have probably said this off the top. The theme here today outside of Stroman is great value. I think that a lot of the guys, every single guy we're going to talk about outside of him, should be taken at price or even a little bit above it. I think that there is a lot of value to be had amongst the names we're talking about today. And Lance Lynn, somebody who's you know, probably a little bit discounted because of the way, you know, there's a number of things. There's the age. There's the fact that he is 35. He's going to be 36 early on next season. He's got a lot of mileage under him. You know, He's pitched 1,700 innings in the majors. This season, he came back from an injury, and he was fairly poor to start off. Like He was somebody that was relatively hard to hang on to. Uh, in 2022 if you just you know in June and July when he first came back if you were somebody who owned him at that point and you held on you were pretty brave especially in a shallower format 16 June innings he had a 619 ERA in 31 July innings a 654 ERA he was absolutely dreadful and then the rest of the way he was excellent August in 36 innings a 245 ERA September and in October a 241 ERA overall the way it split out first half second half 36 first half innings, 7-5 ERA in the second half, 85 innings in a 2-5-2 ERA. That is definitely a lot closer to what Lance Lynn is. Not to say that he is going to be, you know, a sub-3 ERA guy anymore. I don't know that we're necessarily there at this point of his career, but he's definitely not a 4-plus ERA guy unless there's a lot that goes wrong. There's no reason to think that he can't give you about a 3-5 ERA, giving you really solid strikeout numbers. Not that he's going to blow you away with them, but he should be in that 25 to 27, 28% range. This year, a little bit lower, coming off the injury at 24, but he also only walked 3.7% of batters. He's somebody who can help you with strikeouts, with the ERA, with the whip. I think that he should be able to be a, a decent asset whip-wise. I know that he's had some seasons in his career where he's a little bit higher, but that's when he had the walk rate you know, pretty poor in 2017, 2018. Walk rate was well above 10%, and the whip you know, was, was bad in turn. These last three seasons, we're looking at 106, 107, and 113. He gave you 113 whip this year despite the horrible first couple of months, and the ERA still finished at 399. Different situation, but it almost reminds me of Luis Castillo heading into this year. Started off atrocious. Obviously, Castillo didn't start 2021 with an injury, but just dreadful, awful nonsense to start, and then he really turned it around. And I think the ERA was exactly the same for Castillo in 2021. It was 399 thereabouts. I really like Lance Lynn. I think that he is somebody who is being probably undervalued a little bit. I pick 141. I think that in that range, uh, you can't really go wrong with him. Now, like we said, there's a bit of injury risk. He's not a spring chicken anymore. He's a little bit old. But he's pitching for a very good team, giving you good production all across the board. And with the White Sox, speaking of the team, I think that they are going to bounce back. I've said this a number of times on pause throughout the offseason. 
It was not a good fit with Tony LaRusso this last season, as much as it might have been the year prior. Uh, I think that without him, that team is really going to break free a little bit. We're going to see, I'm not even sure the right word to use, but I think there will be some kind of renaissance that happens there, depending on the way the rest of the offseason shakes out. You know, there's been talk of Liam, Liam Hendricks possibly getting dealt. And, you know, if Kendall Graveman's the closer, it obviously looks a little bit a little bit less rosy as opposed to Liam Hendricks. But if you look at the rotation, Dylan Cease, Lynn, Giolito, you got Mike Clevenger and Michael Kopech. That is a excellent rotation. You know, I, I don't care that Clevenger is not very good. Kopech can be kind of in and out in terms of how good he is. Uh, Cease, Lynn, and Giolito is excellent. You know, Giolito is another guy that has some problems. We'll probably touch on him tomorrow. Uh, we won't get to him today. But that rotation is going to be really good. The bullpen should be really good if they stay as constructed. And then the lineup, you got Tim Anderson, you got Benintendi, Lou Bob, Eloy Jimenez, Johan Moncada, Andrew Vaughn, Yasmani Grandal batting seventh. Like that, there's a lot that can go right here. Gavin Sheets batting eighth, and then Romy Gonzalez in the nine hole. I'm not sure how sticky that one will be. But this lineup is really good. It can be excellent. There are some X factors there, of course. If Lou Bob and Eloy can stay healthy for a whole season, we still don't really know the answer to that question. But this team, long answer, could produce you know a 15-win Lance Lynn season. Wouldn't be surprised by it at all. He's done it four times in the past. Granted, never with Chicago. He's only been in Chicago for a couple of years now. But I would not be at all surprised to see him have a 15 and seven record. Give you like a three-two ERA. You know, somewhere in that range with his typically good strikeouts and you know the walk rate won't be at 3.7, but can it be at five or six? I think it can be, and I think at that range. You're you're going to be very very happy with your Lance Lynn shares, and I think you know I would be I'd be jumping on him because I think that as we get closer to the season, his price will probably go up a little bit. People in casual drafts, I think you know more home leagues, Yahoos and whatnot, will take him a little bit higher than 141 based on the name brand alone. I think that he is probably going to be a little bit closer to a top 100 pick in those formats. I wouldn't take him inside of the top 100, but. You know, I said that that range kind of ends with Clayton Kershaw at 138. I I misspoke. It really honestly goes till you get to Lance Lynn here at pick 141. And you can even argue a couple names beyond it. I'm not as comfortable with them. But in that range, you know, Lynn is kind of the bookend there beyond Kershaw three picks later. He's somebody that I still feel very confident taking at his price and even a little bit higher. Guys, one more name we are going to talk about today, another Lance, Lance McCullers. He's somebody who is also, you know, he's a little bit hard to nail down exactly what he is as a pitcher. Despite the fact that we have seen him for several seasons give you really good numbers, I just don't know what he can do over the course of a full season year after year. 2021, he gave you 162 innings, and that was, you know, that's a full season. In this day and age, 28 starts, 162 innings, that's a full season. Other seasons prior, we're looking at 125, 118, 128, 81, 55, not a lot of volume there to base um, to base the track record on. And, you know, he's still been very good in those years. His career ERA is 348. His career FIP is 335. He's giving you, you know, 26.5%, call it 27% strikeout rate. He's still been very good. There's not really too much that I want to worry about here other than the fact that maybe the volume isn't quite where we're going to hope it's going to be. Uh, you know, 47 innings this past year. He's projected by Steamer for 148. That's probably probably about right, 148, considering the team, considering you know the fact that they're not really starving for starting pitchers. If there's something that happens with McCullers, he's not. They're not a team where you know they'll. And not many teams will really do this, but he's not somebody where you have to force through an injury because you know you need pitching. 
They are stacked. Valdez, Javier, McCullers, Luis Garcia, Jose Arquiti, uh, Hunter Brown waiting in the wings. There's they're pretty flush for pitching options. So McCullers, you know, it's not a matter of him being replaced, but if there is some kind of you know tweak or something, he's not going to pitch through it. He would sit down and you know turn the reins over to Hunter Brown or whoever else. That's my first concern that maybe the volume isn't quite so high. Another concern is the walk rate is is a little bit higher than I would like. It keeps the whip up beyond it's still not terrible territory but these last couple of seasons we've seen the walks go up from you know below 10 percent normally over his first couple of seasons 2016 it was over 10 but it was only over 81 innings you know and again this season was only 47 innings but it's the most recent sample size we have uh he was walking a career high just about anyway 11.3 percent of batters and you know it's not technically a career high because uh, of 2016 so maybe scrap that but he's walking 11.3 percent of batters not very good. It was his lowest strikeout minus walk rate that he'd had in his career. That's obviously something to think about. He left 88% of runners on base, also something to consider. Now, I think the skills are, are generally there. I think that the, pitches, the pitch mix is good. I think that he throws all five of his pitches pretty damn well. Obviously, some better than others. The fastball, probably the weakest pitch there. But he's got a great mix on a great team. He can give you pretty solid strikeouts, if not you know exceptional, then you know a bit above average, 26-27% strikeout rate. That'll play. Keep the walks. Even if he you know gets it back down to 10%, I think that he'd still be fine there, considering we've seen it not be not be that low in the past, and he still has productive fantasy seasons. 2021, it was over eleven percent. He still gave you, you know, what was the ERA? It was three one six. So he can still give you very good seasons with the with the walk rate. That's my one, not my one concern. My biggest concern is probably the walk rate. And I guess, I don't know, the injury is probably second in terms of the, the injury risk, how many innings he's going to pitch. Maybe it's first. They're both, they're both pretty close. Those are my two concerns with him. In terms of the outlook for this year, though, I think we'll likely see double-digit victories. That's not a lot to ask for, considering Houston is able to do that with many pitchers every single year. Jose Arquiti is always the one that comes to mind. Double-digit victories are going to be there pitching for Houston, especially if you are as good as McCullers is. He's much better than Arquiti. I know that's you know not the deepest analysis. He's better than him, so he should get more wins. I, if Arquiti is able to do this every single year, give you 12, 13, 14 wins or whatever, no reason why we couldn't see McCullers do it. To go along with much better strikeouts, Probably much better ratios, at least similar ratios, but and likely a little bit lower than what Arkady is going to give you. Uh, obviously, the price is very different, but Arkady or not Arkady, McCullers for me is somebody that I'm also targeting because the price is pretty damn low. One seventy five, Arkady is two sixty six, but at one seventy five for Lance McCullers, again upside of an SP one there. It's not necessarily that he's going to do it. But he could give you, maybe SP1 is pushing it. Like SP2, I think, is honestly within the range of outcomes for Lance McCullers. He could give you about a 3 ERA, a 3-2 ERA, 15-16 wins. I'm talking about best-case scenario here, and that's what we would be doing in terms of an SP2. That would be the best-case scenario. 15-16 wins, low ratios. Talk about a 3.2 ERA, and then the whip, you know, 1.2 maybe. Uh, striking out 27% of batters. If he is pitching for an entire season, I, I would not be surprised to see him well outperform the draft price. So Lance McCullers at 175, he doesn't fall into that same range as the other guys just because there is some dead weight in the middle there, like Chris Sale, uh, you know, Tony Gonsolin, I'm not as big of a fan of, uh, Drew Rasmussen, not as big of a fan of. But Lance McCullers at 175, he stands out to me in this little range here. 
I guess, past pick 150 until about pick 200. You know, John Gray is also in that range, and Brady Singer as well, who I'm, I'm a big fan of. But I think McCullers here at 175 might be the most enticing. Just looking at the guys going around him, what he is capable of doing on that team, I think that there is potential for him to have a really big season. And the same goes for everybody we talked about today except for Marcus Stroman. I think Freddie Peralta and John Gray are probably the most likely to really have great seasons. Probably John Gray, number one there. I think John Gray is is really underrated. Specifically getting away from Coors Field, that's just something that will you know, play to him more favorably over time as well. Career ERA isn't even that bad at home versus away, but you are going to have more success pitching away from Coors Field, obviously. He spent most of his career there, all of his career until last year. Another year adjusted away from Coors. Uh, I see no problem with him being like a borderline SP3 overall, like a top 30, 35 pitcher. Freddie Peralta, similar kind of deal. I think if he's healthy, if he goes out there and gives you what we're hoping for, which would be like 140 to 150 innings, then he's going to blow past his ADP. Stroman, I don't feel as confident about. I think that the price, he's fine, but I'm not going to be really reaching to take him or even taking him at price necessarily. I just think that there are probably some better options. I'm going to take care of pitching like we've talked about. Between pick 60 and about 130, 140 is where I'm going to take care of most of my pitching. If you need to fill out your depth with a guy like Stroman, I think he's reasonably priced. Nothing too crazy there. And then the Lances. I think both Lances are both pretty damn cheap as well. Lynn and McCullers, both guys that should be on your target list. I wouldn't reach up too, too far to draft either of them necessarily. Like I'd reach a little bit higher on Lynn probably than McCullers. But I think that given where they're going generally, call it a round above or a round below, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to take any of the guys we are talking about today. Even Stroman, I don't think it's a, a bad pick. I'm not personally in favor of it, per se, but but I don't think it's a bad pick at all. Guys, I'm going to leave you there. I'm going to go eat a bunch of leftover turkey and stuffing and the rest of it. Really appreciate you guys uh, hanging out here for the new week. I hope everybody had a great holiday. Like I mentioned, we are going to have Greg Jewett on the show later this week. I will be recording. Should be Wednesday. Probably get out on Thursday. Maybe we'll do it Wednesday. We'll see. But later this week, we're going to start our relief pitching review. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'll be on the wire with Kevin Hastings and Adam Howe later this week as well. So check out that podcast if you want to get even more content from me. And if you really, really want to get more content, you can follow me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB is where all of our baseball, fantasy baseball content is posted from. Specifically, go check out EthosFantasyBB, guys. I know I've beaten you over the head with that one over the last couple of months, and you guys have reciprocated. We've gotten a bunch of new followers. We're just shy of 200 on that account. I'd really appreciate you guys uh, hitting the follow button there, pushing us past that 200 follower threshold. All of our podcasts, all of our articles, all of our work is released there on the baseball side at Ethos Fantasy BB. Guys, hit the pod with a five-star review on your way out if you would be so kind. Leave some words down below if you would like so as well. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow afternoon with one more SP review, probably just one last one. It'll probably be a bit bigger than usual. So buckle in, probably a full hour episode tomorrow. Until then, guys, take care. And enjoy your night. Cheers. Cheers.